Hey gang, welcome to Big Brother and the Holding Company, which is a podcast about music and Web3 and trying to fend off Big Brother. I'm a Keegan Voice. Today I spoke with Lottie Day. Lottie is a native New Yorker who grew up writing songs, winning an award from ASCAP New York before moving to Los Angeles to pursue songwriting. The pandemic interrupted that journey, but it led her to Web3, where she's held a variety of roles, from head of community and partnerships for EQ Exchange, which was a Web3 music startup co-owned by Ashanti, to the director of social and partnerships for Campfire, which is a guild and community for Web2.5 music artists and professionals, to being the manager of pop fusion artist TK, who's released Eternal Garden, an audio-visual music non-fungible token or NFT collection, generated over 38 Ethereum, which as of this recording is close to $75,000, and became a paragon of world building in the space. Lottie also has a newsletter and her own podcast and is incredibly active across Web3 music communities. We chatted about all of her projects, as well as the importance of partnerships in Web3 community building, the role of AI in the music industry, and how Web3 can actually work alongside artificial intelligence to curb some of its potential harm. Hope you all enjoy the conversation. Here we go. All right. Hey, Lottie. It's great to have you here. Keegan, it's good to be back. What's up? Hi, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's relatively good weather in New York. <laughs> nice. Happy to hear that. It's pretty cloudy with you know, a pretty high chance of rain here in London, which is pretty typical. Sounds like <laughs> London, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's really great to have you on. Thank you for being here. Um, and as usual, I always like to start start at the beginning and you know dive into your story, hear about you know where you grew up, and you know when your relationship with music started. Yeah, so I am born and raised in New York, and yeah. I'm someone who has loved music pretty much my whole life. Uh, my parents are not in the music industry, but I would say that they are musically inclined and they had a love for music because it was always playing in my house. Granted, for the most part, it was, you know, very religiously <laughs> related music because my family's Christian. Um, but that love was always there. I've, I've been singing in church and since I was a little girl. Cool. And I remember, you know, watching Disney Channel <laughs> and seeing all the Disney stars and the Mickey Mouse Club and all of that. And I was just like, this looks really fun. <laughs> I want to do this. And Britney Spears is one of my very, very early, early inspirations, Destiny's Child, just artists like that. And mm. Sync loved all of that, the boy bands, Me too. Backstreet Boys, <laughs> as well. all yeah. of it. And I remember just wanting to really delve into pop. And I had just been doing my research and kind of seeing, okay, like, how can I get involved with those things? And one of the things I had seen is that you, you go to like performing arts school. And so I talked to my parents and I was like, I want to go to performing arts school. And they were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> they Because for them, it's like the entertainment industry was like super scary and un uncertain. And it wasn't a place for a child. And they were just like, you just need to go to school and read your books and learn things and get a job and save the world as a doctor. And I was like, okay. <laughs> cool. No small task. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, they're immigrants. So that, that's just the mentality. And so mm. I spent a lot of my time studying music, listening to music and watching music videos like on the low. Right. It's like and then fast forward to Napster, LimeWire, 
the iPod, and that's how I would kind of get my fix, listening to mostly hip hop. Um, and just they had no clue what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really didn't get into music more so professionally until I was like a lot older, like basically after college. Got it. And what was the, you know, what was the first step into, you know, pursuing it professionally? At which point were you like, okay, like I know my parents weren't cool with me doing it as a kid, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. So for me, essentially, one of the cool things about New York is that there's, it's a great music scene here. Mm. And there's just a lot of creatives in general. And so even when I was in school, I had met a lot of people and made a lot of friends that were kind of in that world. And then naturally something that happens is that you go to their events or you go to their shows or you go to whatever else. And so that's what I did. And further down the line, I started, you know, booking studio time and kind of just figuring out ways to involve myself on my own accord. So like after I graduated from college, I got a regular job, I was doing the regular job and I would work, you know, nine to five. And then after that, I would go to the studio or I'd go to a show or I would make music with friends. And I quickly realized that I was never going to be happy just doing it as a side thing. Mm. And so I quit my job. I didn't tell my family. <laughs> I quit my <laughs> job. <laughs> I so and you know what one of the big sparks for me was was actually ASCAP Expo. So I had done mm. a little bit of traveling to L.A., that's where I would do studio time out there as well. I went to ASCAP Expo in May in 2018. And I told myself, by the end of this year, I need to be living in LA. Like, that's it. No ifs, ands, or buts. Hmm. And I then had entered a songwriting competition with ASCAP. I placed in that second place. And that kind of like lit a fire under me to really pursue it. Mm -hmm. And by November of 2018, I had moved to LA on a whim. I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't have a place. Lined. I didn't. I just went on like a cross country road trip cool. with a friend. And I was like, we're going to California. And that was it. Oh man, what a dream. That sounds amazing. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you did it. You set out to move to California that year and you Went to LA. So then what, I mean, you got to LA without much lined up. What happened after that? So that's kind of where the hustle began. So I did have mm. like some savings when I got out there, we kind of just stayed in an Airbnb and obviously not really knowing LA, you don't know like what are the safest parts? What are the most expensive parts or whatever? So initially mm -hmm. we got a spot in WeHo. If you know anything about WeHo, it is not cheap. Mm -hmm. And so everything was expensive, but so obviously the Airbnb was, but even like just getting food or right. getting my nails done, I was like, why is this so much money? And it's because we're <laughs> literally like right next to Beverly Hills. Like it's mm -hmm. not cheap over there. But anyway, so what I was doing was just gigs. I would find stuff on Craigslist or backstage and I would do things like PA work or, you know, be extra in, you know, independent films or music videos and stuff mm. like that. Eventually, I picked up a server job and was doing that. And this <laughs> this job is in Beverly Hills. And I remember, like, within a couple of weeks of being on the job, one of the patrons was Frank Ocean. And I almost <laughs> lost my shit. Whoa. Really 
fan of him, as most people in, in music are, especially sure. if you're someone who's pursuing songwriting. And so Frank Ocean and Steve Lacey come in, and I'm wow. shook. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one of the policies, obviously, at this job is that you're not supposed to kind of, like, fan out, you know, sure. when yeah. they come through. But I had to walk up to them and be like, listen, I love y'all. I'm so inspired by what you do. Yeah. I had actually met Steve Lacey at a workshop at the Apple Store in Brooklyn, back when I was living in New York. And I told him, I was like, I met you at the Apple store. And he was like, oh yeah, I remember that event, da, da, da. And I was like, oh my God. But anyway, and Steve and, and <laughs> Frank was like, basically quiet, he didn't say anything, but he smiled mm. though, at least. It was really just, for me, I was like, this is a sign that I'm supposed to be in music. Like, totally. what are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it seemed like the universe kind of, was uh, conspiring in your favor to bring- Very much to bring that. All together. Very much that, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, so then what happened? Yeah. So from there, it was kind of just like doubling down. Doubling down, going to the studio, um, going to events, going parties. And the unfortunately, the server job didn't last very long. <laughs> as as is, you know, typical for LA. I, I probably had like 12 different jobs the entire time I was out there. Um, but I was just really focused on being creative and meeting the right people. And eventually it got to the point where like my demos were kind of going around and I was meeting different publishers because my goal at the time was, I was like, okay, I want to sign a publishing deal with Warner or Universal or Sony or whatever else. And so mm -hmm. I was meeting different A&Rs. I was playing them my stuff. And I have to say, like being a songwriter independently and coming up is probably one of the most discouraging hmm. <laughs> types sure. of jobs in the industry because nobody really cares about songwriters. Nobody wants to pay you. Nobody really wants to give you a chance sometimes. Like it's really hard mm. to get into certain rooms. It's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. And so my respect for songwriters grew so, 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 so much. I had mm. done a couple of short like classes and workshops at 1500 Sound Academy which is owned by the guys over at 1500. Shout out to Rance and James Fauntleroy. But it's like, wow, like you see people like that and you're like, how you even got to this point in your career mm. is incredible, right? Yeah. Um, and so I was just trying to, you know, keep the dream alive and, and make it happen, being a starving artist, as they say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I felt like there were different instances where I was like, okay, I'm getting like closer so what I wanted to be doing. Uh, and then the pandemic came and that right. threw everything off. Right. Yeah, it kind of ruined a lot of things, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did that, yeah, I mean, specifically for you and for the way you were thinking about your career in music, I mean, how did, you, you know, how did it change things for you? You know, how did you pivot? How did you work through it? Honestly, it did. Oh, damn near 180 over time. So essentially what happened was the lockdown occurred, which all of the studios were caused to close down temporarily. And there were also curfews in LA. So it wasn't even like I could stay out and collaborate with people at their houses, because if that was the case, I had to stay overnight until the curfew was over. So it was like really wild dystopian times. <laughs> they were indeed. Um, and so at that point, I was living with two of my friends, Jordan and Brandy. Jordan, who is an artist and an engineer. Brandy, who's an who's an artist who knows how to engineer. 
And they were just like, girl, you, you just need to learn how to use, you know, Pro Tools. Like, if you can't, see, you know, go to a studio or an engineer, you got to learn how to do it yourself. So they helped me right. set up my template and everything. And I had already had some equipment. Like, I had, you know, my um, laptop and interface and all these things. But I, I never thought I'd really need to use them. But I was like, okay, now's the time to... Sit down with my friends, learn how to do stuff, watch YouTube videos. So I just taught myself how to record in Pro Tools and how to do a light enough mix that's allowed the song to be demo ready. I learned how to produce in Logic. Granted, I'm mm. not that great of a producer, but mm. I can make a little beat. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Splice. Um, <laughs> and just kind of do like enough to get the songs where I needed to get them or to collaborate with folks remotely or whatever else. And so through that, I was able to get a lot of stuff synced. That's kind of how I stayed afloat, working remote, just through like different music supervisors or sync agents I would send stuff to. Mm -hmm. And then I also would work with independent artists and then they would like pay me a fee or a rate for whatever types of songwriting work I had done with them. And yeah, I ended up working pretty closely with Mickey Shiloh at Hard Drive. I had done a writing camp with her the month before the lockdown happened. And then from there, she brought me on to kind of just help out with like social media related stuff and operations. And that helped me kind of get my foot in the door more so on the business side of things. Mm -hmm. And from there, Clubhouse happened, mm -hmm. which was... Oh, yeah. Quite a time, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things that you just had to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, I had got on, you know, around October, um, the music industry folks started coming on, you know, around summers to fall. So I, I would join during that wave and that opened a whole new world in terms of meeting different people mm. and having different types of conversations. But also the cool thing about Clubhouse is that you got to meet professionals from different fields. So you can be in rooms with folks in finance or folks in tech and whatever else. And mm -hmm. at that time, that's when Web3 was surging. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. I think Bitcoin was like 60K. Yeah. Like it was nuts. And I was just like, okay, what is this? But I, I didn't really care too much about it initially because there's a lot of talk about like PFPs and Ethereum. And I was like, I don't know what these things are, why they're <laughs> important, but okay. Uh, and then I started seeing folks that I had known. One of the biggest examples was Latasha, who is an artist mm -hmm. from out here in New York. And I remember just, you know, going to her performances and kind of just seeing her continue to grind independently. And then seeing her win really big in Web3, having her music video sell for 50K worth of ETH. I was like, yeah. hold on. <laughs> what is happening? What is this? <laughs> And so I realized, okay, like th there's a place for musicians in this space. And I decided to kind of go down the rabbit hole, meet folks, join Twitter spaces, join discords, the whole nine. And then at the time, once things started opening up again, I had entered this sort of incubator for musicians and music folks. And so I, had, I went back to LA for that for a couple of months and then that startup actually ended up shutting down and the woman one of the co-founders had started another startup in web3 and she had asked me if i could join to help out with social as a contractor and i said yeah sure 
because I wanted to get involved in that world anyway. So that was my first kind of like job or like official gig in Web3 music. And then from there, I've kind of just been growing and and going and and doing the thing. Hmm. Cool. Uh, What was the name of uh, that startup and like what was your role in it? Yeah, so it was called EQ Exchange. Hmm. Initially, I started out doing social media management. And then from there, it was community management. And from there, it was partnerships, community, social, kind of the whole thing. Startup is funny because you'll start out doing one thing and then once they figure out you can do other things well, they're like, oh, can you do this, this, and this? Yeah. And then you get raises and you get this, that, and the third. Uh, and I was there for about a year. Yeah, and since then you've you know, you've done a lot of stuff. You've been involved with a lot of different projects from you know, like Campfire, yeah. you know, working with TK. Yeah. Uh, you know, how's that been? Like, I'm always impressed. I see your name everywhere. I feel like there's like three of you active on like every single platform. You know, I don't people know how you always do say that. They're like, how do you have time for anything? And I'm just like, a schedule, scheduler, schedule all my posts. But anyway, yeah. So working with TK and Campfire has been awesome. And, and that's more in, the, in line with things that I like to do. So TK is just a really dope independent artist, but he's someone who I had known from my web two days. So there's actually kind of a lot of overlap there. So when I had first moved to LA, he was one of the first artists that I had seen perform. I had made a point to go to all types of events out in LA, whether they were mixers, whether they were open mics, whether they were you know parties, whatever. And so I had gone to this showcase and I didn't know him or anyone there, but I kind of just wanted to see like who the local talent was. Mm-hmm. And I remember him performing and I was like, this dude is so talented. Mm-hmm. You know how it is, you go up to someone, you tell them they're dope, you exchange Instagrams or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up seeing him a few more times because he would have different parties and events at his house. And so then I would go to those and, you know, you get to talking and he's like, you know, obviously I know he's an artist and I'm telling him I'm a songwriter. And he was just like, oh, I'm going to keep you in mind for when I have like my writing camps. Mm. And then he ended up throwing a writing camp. I went to that and it was till this day one of the best writing camps I've ever attended. Like mm. he's just so good at curating, as you can see with anything that he does. Mm-hmm. And we became a lot closer. Um, but then obviously, again, like with the way the pandemic happened, I wasn't really seeing a lot of people IRL. And then I ended up moving right. back to New York. And so then I had seen on Twitter one day that he had a sold out collection on Sound XYZ. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I texted him. I was like, oh, my gosh, congrats. I didn't know you were in Web3. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, yeah, you know, like I just kind of I got into it like really recently. I was like, me too. And then we kind of just started talking and then. Um, he was like, are you going to be at NFT NYC? And I said, actually, yes, because I'm planning an event there for work. Because, you know, at the time where I was working, Ashanti was a co-owner in the company and we were mm-hmm. planning an event for her to be the keynote speaker. And so I was like, yeah, like, I'll make sure you come through to that and I'll go to whatever you're going to. And then we reconnected in person. And it was around that time also he was looking for um, a manager that had an understanding of Web3 because he already had a team of a couple people, but they were all like Web2 folks. He was like, I'm really looking for someone to help me on the Web3 side because I feel like that doesn't exist. And he mm-hmm. low-key was ahead of his time with that one because I hadn't even heard of a Web3 manager <laughs> mm-hmm. before he asked. And at the time I was like, oh, I don't know. My work schedule is really crazy. I don't know anything about managing artists and everything I've heard is terrible. So yeah. I don't know if I <laughs> want to do that kind of work. 
And he was just like, let's just like try it out, da da da. And so I said, okay, like basically I told them we can try out like a, a trial period for a couple of months. And then mm-hmm. if it works, we can extend. And if it doesn't, you know, we can just stay friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was June or so of last year. Okay. That, that happened. And, you know, we started plotting towards Eternal Garden. Mm-hmm. That was like, you know, around three months worth of planning. Mm-hmm. prior to the actual launch it was really successful you know that really helps both of us in terms of kind of making our stamp in the web3 music world and, mm-hmm. and, and now we're still rocking together and it's dope cool that's amazing i think i asked you this the first time we connected but i'm curious uh because you had heard so many bad things about you know, <laughs> like being an artist manager <laughs> what what was it that kind of tipped you over the edge like oh wait maybe I'll do this. And then what did that entail? Like, what was that, you know, kind of first few months? Like, how were you connecting? Like, what what was your role exactly, you know, as you were in that relationship? For sure. I think for me, the reason I, I said yes to it, despite <laughs> the horror stories, is because I actually <laughs> liked him as a person mm. and as an artist, which I think is kind of one of the number one things if you want to get into management, you have to be really passionate about the person that you're representing. So you, sure. you have to love music they're creating but you also have to like them like I, I don't think i could manage someone who i dislike or if i didn't like their sound even if they were <clears throat> you know had a lot of potential to be very successful or whatever i, I just mm-hmm. don't know if i could be along for the ride um and then but also besides that i like the fact that he kind of had a little infrastructure to begin with it wasn't like we were starting from the ground up he had already had folks on his team right. that he was working with on the web 2 side and then he also himself is someone who's really business savvy so besides just being an artist he also does like freelance consulting and he was working with a lot of different startups especially in the web3 music space and advising them and i was like wow that's really cool that Mm. you're you're doing all that because a lot of times people are like i'm an artist i just want to make art and that's fine you know i respect it but he kind of was able to find other avenues where he can exercise his expertise and be able to fund himself without getting a full-time job and so i respected that and so essentially, when I first joined, most of what I was doing was related to like project management for Eternal Garden. So he came to me mm-hmm. with his Notion doc, which is very comprehensive of all the <laughs> things that he wanted to actualize. And so my job was essentially putting all of the pieces together to help him execute that vision. And most of it, honestly, was bringing in folks that we could partner with. So he had a lot of folks that he already knew that he was talking to. But I also had people on my end. And a lot of that was actually through my work at EQ Exchange. So I was doing partnerships there. So it was pretty easy for me to kind of alley-oop them into this project. And a lot of it, too, was just randomly through Twitter or through LinkedIn. You know, you send a cold DM. People respond. They're like, let's hop on a call. You you talk to them. You share the deck. They're like, okay, let's do it. And then they ape in as well. So. That's what, where most of the focus was initially. And again, that was very much in tandem with what I was already doing. So it was just kind of more of the same work, but for something that I actually was interested in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's kind of how it was. Cool. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that really came out of that that seemed really interesting was, you know, like the creation of the street team that, that you know, came out of Eternal Garden. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. For sure. So yeah, like like I said, like TK is someone who he's really good at, at getting people to kind of 
be on his side in terms of being invested in what he's doing and, and what he's creating and envisioning. And I think he's someone who is the best at world building hmm. in Web3. And so there were a lot of different folks who would come to us with proposals of things that they thought we could do to enhance what we were doing and expand the Eternal Garden universe. And I was like, wow, this is so dope. It's like, we don't even have to necessarily go out of our way mm. <laughs> to find folks. And so one of our main partners, which was Mochi, the founder, Gabe, had come to us with a really interesting and novel idea in partnership with Ravi at the 402 about having you know a digital street team. And, and they had a deck and they showed us how it would work. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. And so then we kind of kept ideating with them and, you know, creating any sort of like tweaks to that plan and seeing how we can execute it. Because if you know, one thing about a lot of artists, TK included, is that they don't really love content creation. Mm. <laughs> TikTok is not something that they think is fun. <laughs> it's like extra work for them. So essentially, mm. when Gabe and Ravi were like, we have this idea of how we can kind of gamify TikTok and incentivize fans to post on your behalf i was like this is brilliant hmm. like this is you know it's never been done before and, and one thing about tk and i is like we love to we love to venture into territory that has not been explored before so we were like okay let's let's try this out let's do it and so we, we figured it out with them over the course of a couple of weeks and once we solidified the game plan we announced it. We had, you know, a Zoom call to get folks on board. We created the Discord and all that. And it was really amazing seeing the results of, of all of it and just kind of seeing how people were having so much fun doing it. And it's like, you know, for anyone who has been paying attention or interested in music, especially like in like the 90s or early 2000s, street teams were all the rage, right? Like they they would post your posters everywhere. They okay. would sell your cds in the street like they would be wearing your merch it's like they would do all these things to get everyone to join mm -hmm. your team in the physical sense and so but we kind of lost a lot of that with the advent of streaming right and so for it to be kind of reinvented in the digital sense we were like okay we're so game for this and and then from there a bunch of other artists you know came through to us we're like we want to try out what you guys are doing and it really helped with you know, helping his music get out there, growing his presence on TikTok. And, you know, if we had even tried it for maybe longer, and that was only a month, like a month, you know, getting all of these likes and all these views and all these shares. And if we had tried it for, you know, three months or six months, who knows, like how much farther it could have went. Right. But huge shout out to Mochi and the 402 because they're the ones who really made all of that possible for us and we appreciate them believing in us and the 402 is actually a hype shot now i forgot they changed their name hmm. but yeah it's like it, it really partnership is so important people talk about community and all these things and community matters when it comes to individuals but it also matters when it comes to DAOs and organizations and other things of that nature because mm -hmm. then you have way more people on your side within one entity right yeah totally i mean it seems like a really effective way to leverage a community and you know i love like the kind of 
the uh, throwback to the '90s of, of like activating street teams and you know having people rallying on your behalf. I wonder if you could yeah. take just like one small step back and just like talk about what the Eternal Garden is for people who don't for know. Sure. And then exactly like you know what did it look like when people on the street team were showing up? Like what kinds of things were they doing? Yeah, so Eternal Garden is a universe created by TK. And essentially, it tells the story of Caius. And one thing, if you know anything about TK, he is a master storyteller. Mm. Like, you you need to just get the NFT and actually read the whole story. <laughs> Eternal-garden.xyz. But seriously, it's like, um, essentially, he has these really vivid visions of what he wants to create and then he builds a story with the music so there's seven songs in this particular project and it's a whole audio visual experience so like the music obviously is stunning but a lot of the different graphics also correlate really strongly with the vision of each of the songs and tk when we had first started working together he told me that he was interested in doing a high volume NFT drop. And, and, you know, we've seen it in the past with folks like Daniel Allen and Violetta, Sammy Arriaga, just a bunch of really amazing artists doing their thing. And he kind of wanted to make his stamp as well mm -hmm. in this way, but with a lot of focus on the narrative, mm -hmm. both visually and sonically. And so that is where I came in and that's how we kind of continue to expand that. But a lot of it came from him, like his mind when it comes to like the aesthetics, the visuals, the sounds, the soundscapes, it's it's just, it's like nothing you've ever seen or heard before. And it's very like fantastical. And it was amazing just kind of seeing people relate so strongly to that and be very drawn in to what it is that he was building. And so there was a lot of focus on creating the different assets for that. And just like repetition in terms of what people saw. So whether it was us using like the flower emoji or like the particular GIF or videos that we had and just kind of like stamping for people, okay, this is Eternal Garden and this is what it represents. And mm -hmm. this is how you can get involved. And these are the things that you're going to get used to seeing and hearing. And we were just, you know, feet against the pavement pushing it on Twitter predominantly, but also on LinkedIn and Instagram. And also shout out to the good folks at Lalo as well and Lens, because that allowed us to be able to tap in more deeply with our Web3 supporters. And from there, that is how we were able to successfully sell out 700 NFTs, generate 38 ETH worth of revenue. And then that's the follow-up to that was Pedal Power, which is a digital street team. And that kind of was able to push it into Web2 because now these songs are being released, you know, via the DSPs traditionally. So that's how it all came together. Cool. That's an amazing vision, um, you know, and a great idea. I mean, the, I think the importance of world building, especially, you know, in Web3 is really you know really big and really paramount yeah but also but also like the creative opportunity for an artist to just be able to think and dream up like anything that they want to any narrative and because we have the technology that that can actually manifest these worlds and allow us to bring people into them is really amazing 100 percent. 
So then you two also are involved in Campfire, which is another project. I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. For sure. Yeah. So Campfire, again, the brainchild of TK. He had actually founded it initially during the clubhouse days. And so mm. the Campfire that you know and see today is in, in a lot of ways like the rebirth, the relaunch of that initial vision. He essentially wanted a way for musicians, creatives, you know, whether that's songwriters, artists, producers, whatever else, to be able to have like a safe space to create and discuss the things that they wanted to see change within the mm -hmm. industry without the influence of platforms or protocols or necessarily even executives or anyone who's not tied to music creation and artist advocacy. Mm -hmm. So it's been really incredible seeing Campfire continue to blossom. And we have, you know, a dedicated core team of folks. We have a dedicated community. We went from being essentially virtual, you know, hosting Twitter spaces and things of that nature to bringing it IRL last quarter at, or actually now two quarters ago, time flies, <laughs> <laughs> at our Basel. And so that was our IRL introduction to the world. And then following that, with South by Southwest. And so essentially what Campfire does IRL for the most part is we'll have opportunities for creatives to create. We'll have studio time. You know, we'll have opportunities for people to come hang out. We call it the Campfire House, which is the headquarters at whatever event that we have. Um, we'll have, you know, some sort of usually like either a brunch or dinner or some sort of like gathering event. So it's really cool because in the midst of all the panels and whatever else you experience at conferences to have a place that's kind of like a home and a safe haven that's focused on creating, commiserating, all of these things that creators need to flourish has been really, really special. Cool. Yeah, it sounds amazing to be able to create the space, you know, for that, I think is really important. Um, and, you know, part of this, I think, really kind of integral and really fascinating shift that Web3 is inciting. It's like opportunity to, you know, to kind of gather in spaces that you create for yourself and, and, and for other people who share your vision. And, you know, as a way to kind of combat, obviously, like all the inequitable realities of, of the streaming paradigm. Um, exactly. That's cool. And then on top of all of those things, of course, you've got a few other projects in in the works um, as well. I know you're working on Hear Us Out. Mm -hmm. um, feel free to chat about that. We'd love to hear more. Yeah. Shout out to Hear Us Out, my baby. <laughs> Hear Us Out is brand new. It's not even two months old. Wow. River White and I, who's a, River is a fantastic human being, and she's someone who is in the Web3 space in both music and media, but also in the traditional world of entertainment. She's someone who I became friends with because of Tips, who's the founder of Economy. And, you know, we were just, you know, two women, two Black women who are really trying to find our way in the space, in the world. And we wanted to encourage and support other creatives and professionals who are also navigating these spaces. And so we would talk in spaces a lot of times concurrently and folks would be like, y'all need to launch a podcast. Like we really <laughs> love like the energy. We love the advice. 
And then we just did it. We were like, okay, cool. We gave ourselves a timeline. We're like, okay, let's get the name. Let's get the brand branding. Let's figure out the schedule. Let's figure out how we're going to be able to build our community. And we gave ourselves a couple of weeks to do it. And then we launched it. And we've been going ever since. And it's hmm. been really cool to have something of, of our own. Mm-hmm. And also, like, we're both really big on lifting as we climb. So, like, we're still, you know, finding our way through these spaces. We're still mm-hmm. trying to reach amazing heights in both music and media. But as you're going on your journey, you can still reach back and help people who are trying to get where you are currently. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of the focus is. So it's it's really based on our anecdotal experience or things that we've seen work with people we admire. We meet every Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. We discuss you know a different topic every week, live on Twitch. We have our community vote on what topics that they want to discuss. And cool. That's how we go about it. Cool. What have some of the topics been so far? So a number of different things. We've talked about, you know, how to network both IRL and online. And we've talked about how to combat imposter syndrome. Hmm. We've talked about how to shoot your shot. And the interesting thing about the formatting of these episodes is that currently they only live on Twitch for up to two weeks. So we kind of make it so... If cool. you're not there, or if you don't watch it within that two week window, it's gone, baby. SOL. Eventually, we'll probably you know <laughs> upload to YouTube or wherever else. But we're trying to make it so that it's like you gotta be yeah. in the building. Yeah, I like that. Experience it in real time. I mean, that's the way life worked before the internet. So why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So it's like you know how people are like, oh, I'll catch the recording. No, you won't. <laughs> or at least you won't pass this window. You get a two-week grace period, which is plenty of time if you don't watch yeah. it within two weeks. Oh, well. That's already pretty generous, I think. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, cool. And you've also got a newsletter that you've just started called What yes. Life Has to Say. Uh, yes. So this has been really fun for me. So this is actually my second newsletter. The first one I have is From One Creative to Another, which is essentially a monthly newsletter where I share different types of music industry opportunities for both creatives and executives Mm -hmm. that are on the come up, like myself, (laughs) and also kind of any like cool products that I think you should check out, communities, events, things like that. And I started that um, two years ago now. Yeah, a little over two years ago. It was kind of like one of my pandemic projects. Mm. Um, And then um, what Lot of Day has to say is the newest one, which launched two weeks ago. (laughs) So brand spanking new. And that's more so for my long form content. So I spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time discussing things that I find interesting in general. Like I I do this across social media um, and I do this, you know, in calls like this and in talks like this. And so I was like, okay, I need to have a home for the types of things that I like discussing Mm -hmm. in a long form sort of way. And I had seen other really great folks in the industry um, Benjamin James, for example, Rob Abelo, and I really liked their newsletters. And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to take a stab at launching my own. Um, and it, it was actually my creator manager over at LinkedIn who had encouraged me to do so. He was like, you have a lot of like great content and you do a lot of long form posts and you should consider having a newsletter where you can mm. house some of those things. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> mm. So I, I had a call with him and then not even a week after, or maybe it was a week about, I launched the newsletter. 
Cool. And I try to do things quickly. Like I don't like sitting on ideas for too long because one thing mm-hmm. I realized about that is that if you sit on an idea for too long, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I say I'm going to do it. I usually try to tell someone or tell the internet that I'm going to do it so they can hold me accountable. Yeah, and yeah. Then I do it. <laughs> that's, that's a good tactic. <laughs> so, and it's been really fun. Uh, initially, when I launched it, I was like, okay, maybe I'll do stuff like bi-weekly because I didn't want to put too much pressure on myself. But mm-hmm. the way things move in music and tech and pop culture and the creator economy, it's fast. There's yeah. something to talk about every day. So now it's become more of a weekly occurrence. And the first edition was something I did totally for fun very unrelated to anything that is currently happening. Um, I like to ideate different things that companies can do to make themselves more cool. Hmm. And I had randomly stumbled upon the fact that Cash App's birthday is on October 15th. And the reason I realized that is because I was working on my taxes and I realized that Cash App had allowed for free tax filing. Hmm. And then I was like, wait a second, Uh, their birthday's coming up. And then I just started thinking like, you know, Cash Up does all these cool things for pop culture. They should do this, that, and the third. And it's, they're, they're, I don't know if you know about that trend of $500,000 or or a dinner with Jay-Z. It, it's recurring every mm. day. There's someone talking about it. And I just decided to make a fun post about it. And then it became a whole article. And I was like, whatever. This is going to be the first edition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And then the second edition, which launched actually just yesterday. I have them come out every Tuesday. Was in relation to Grimes. Mm-hmm. leading the charge in relation to AI music. So she had tweeted recently, and this is in response to the AI Drake song that was taken mm-hmm. down by UMG everywhere. She had tweeted that she would allow folks to be able to use AI to recreate her vocals to make music. And if she liked it, or if the songs had done well, she would do like a 50-50 split with mm-hmm. those folks. And I was like, this is the future. This is so cool. It's like, in a world where the traditional music industry is kind of fighting against it, she's like, let's do it. She's embracing it with open arms. And I was like, this is dope. And I hope that more people follow her example. So that's what I wrote about most recently. But yeah, like anytime there's something interesting, whether it's trending or not, I want to be able to discuss it in, in long form content. So Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to, to kind of organize and process your own thoughts about how you feel about something mm-hmm. too. Yeah, you know, I read the Grimes one and, you know, I think it's really fascinating. And I, you know, I agree. I think I, I have my own qualms about AI and it's mm-hmm. like sort of, uh, sort of like an existential despair sometimes <laughs> thinking about I, I feel like- <laughs> AI. <laughs> um, but, but I agree. It's like with anything in technology, as we're proven over and over again, if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't embrace it, if, if you don't adapt with it, you're going to get left behind. And I, I, I think that was like, you know, your subtitle was like, yeah, the music industry should follow her lead at the, you know, a risk being left behind. And yeah. And the thing is, true. we've seen it already. We've seen it with Napster. We've seen it with, with Spotify. We've seen it with the advent of so many types of technologies. And it's just like, you see all of these tech companies that come in and create the solutions that both creators and consumers are looking for. Mm-hmm. Imagine if the music industry had like their own like emerging tech departments or whatever else to get ahead. Right. Don't wait for the tech bros and the VCs to like push you out of the equation. Like you gotta get involved in the conversation early so you can have a say or else you left the people complaining about, you know, being paid 0.0003 cents. It's like, People need to get involved early. 
Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I've been following. I mean, do you know Holly Plus as well, that project? So I've heard of it, but I need to go down that rabbit hole for sure. Yeah, she's been doing this as like, you know, kind of also planning ahead of Holly Herndon. Um, she, she's been working with AI for quite a while, like, you know, before it was even cool. Like, you, you know, for like four or five years, she's been doing yeah, this. Yeah, way and, before it was a trending topic. <laughs> yeah, like before ChatGPT, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but she, you know, in kind of a prescient take, she, she foresaw all of this happening. So she created an AI model of, you know, of her voice. And then she built a DAO, which for those listening who don't know is, is a decentralized autonomous organization, um, which, which actually owns, I think owns like, you know, this model. So, uh, you know, she's kind of embracing the fact that like people are going to be able to use my voice in the future through AI. But if I set precedent right now and make it more of a collaborative effort, like start mm -hmm. to involve people in this so we can create art together, mm -hmm. that gets you out ahead of, you know, of the change before you're, you know, kind of stampeded, um, right. you know, which is kind of the same thing Grimes is doing right now too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I love I love that you said that getting ahead before you're stampeded because that's literally <laughs> what happens. Like, it's not um, gentle. You will yeah, be crushed. Yeah, crushed. Like we've yeah. seen what's happened with you know CDs and all these other, even like iTunes. It's just like you will be crushed if you do not keep up. Mm -hmm. Better yet, get ahead. Yeah, which is hard, you know, especially as you're saying the pace of of everything is so fast. Like how how am I supposed to I'm keep telling, up? It's every day. Yeah, it's, it's every day. <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it can be um, overwhelming for sure. Yeah, and and you know we're just kind of at the cusp, you know, the beginning of what what AI is going to. Oh, very much so. Do so. It's it's like you know we have to start to think about how it's going to change our world, how we can prepare mm -hmm. for it, how we can work with it, and use it as a tool, and so that we're not. <laughs> not stampeded by it. Yeah, 100%. And I think one thing I really try to tell people is that don't look at AI as something that's going to replace human beings. That's not necessarily the point of AI. AI is supposed to be a co-pilot. Right. AI is supposed to be a tool that you're working with in order to help either make yourself more productive or bounce ideas off of or, or whatever else. I use ChatGPT every day. Hmm. Every yeah. day. I mean, it's a tool. It's like, you know, it's like when, you know, Google launched a search engine. It's like, oh, wow, I can Absolutely. now like search, you know, like like an indexed version of the entire internet. And it's like, Absolutely. why wouldn't I do this? And now obviously everybody uses Google. Google, you know, is its own verb. And it's the same with ChatGPT. It's a tool we have at our disposal. It's to make our lives easier. And use it for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the hope that that we can actually embrace something like this to make make life better for human beings and right. create more space and time to pursue art to do good in the world. That's like the that's hope. that's like the optimistic version of this. Obviously, there's the opposite. opposite right, and, and I choose to look at it more optimistically because I know from personal experience how much time it has saved me from mm -hmm. content calendar ideas to editing. It's just like, it it, it helps save me hours a day. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, and one of the things you wrote about in the piece that I wanted to mention was was 
kind of the conversion of AI with Web3 and how those two things are going to mm -hmm. work hand in hand, um, kind of around this idea that like, there's just going to be a huge proliferation of content, like, you know, take the Drake song that just sort of not really a Drake song, the AI Drake song right. that just came out. <laughs> uh and and seeing like like how he, it's really easy to create a piece of art that sounds like somebody else already right um and and ai can do it really quickly it can proliferate it and just like do do it over and over and over mm -hmm. again and, and really the power of the blockchain is around like being able to verify authenticity of something yes so using that as kind of you know protective mechanism absolutely uh, and, and like you know what's infinite. funny um, Web3 and blockchain tech in terms of how it reached the masses is, is ahead of its time, right? Because initially the focus for Web3 and blockchain tech was in relation to NFTs, which mm -hmm. we have seen <laughs> mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, the rise and fall of that in terms of like the boom, the NFT boom, but also in terms of how the general public responded, you know, mm -hmm. which is overall very negatively. And I mm -hmm. think if we're able to shift the focus in terms of the benefits that are in relation to how it can authenticate things, like this is how you know this is the real thing. Mm. This is how you know that this is something that was actually like verified by said artist that you love. But then also beyond that, on, on the monetary side, which is something that Grimes had touched on, is that when it comes to the payments with smart contracts, you don't have to wait mm. for something to go through a PRO or go through mm -hmm. a publishing administrator or whatever else. You can be paid instantly as soon as it's streamed, as soon as it's sold. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's really important for creatives in general because we're used to at the earliest being paid in 30 days, net mm -hmm. 30, or you know, up to even 18 months, depending on what kind of royalty it is or what sort it's of crazy. project it is or whatever <laughs> else. So to have the ability to one, verify that something is authentic, but two, be able to compensate collaborators essentially instantly that's something that's gonna be really really powerful as the rise of ai music continues to proliferate totally i feel like that's i feel like you know, like the public perspective toward nfts would be different if that was how it was framed <laughs> exactly yeah and i've always said from the very beginning like it's not so much the technology that's an issue it's mm -hmm. the marketing totally. <laughs> Totally. And this is why it's really important for different types of founders and whoever else to have folks with the either like the soft skills or the skills that lean more towards aesthetics, visuals, branding, marketing, advertising, because they understand the people mm -hmm. and the psychology of what consumers want mm -hmm. in ways that unfortunately a lot of folks in tech, especially emerging tech, don't. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's the reason we have the term NFT as like this leading. Oh my god! Like, why? You know, it's not a very pretty name, non fungible. Yeah, token. but even like the name Chat GPT, and, and no offense to those people, but it's yeah, like true. it was not a branding person that came up with that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like totally. All these acronyms. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess people. I mean, that's probably how people are talking about it internally, you know, within an organization. And then like, that's how people start talking about it externally. I right. Think. And it's just so funny to me because I'm like, why would you do this? <laughs> it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. I mean, I think people are now catching on. It's like, oh, we should talk about 
the utility and, and actual value Lead of this technology. Lead yeah, with utility and make it easy. Yeah. It's like, oh, I like AI is happening, but oh, I have this thing that can actually always verify authenticity. Like, oh, wow, what's that? How does that work? Right. Well, let me tell exactly. you. <laughs> like, instead of saying, oh, you know, on the blockchain, da, da, da. if you tell people, this is how you verify something is true and this is how you get paid instantly, their ears yeah, yeah. will perk up. Exactly. Like, wait, what? Yeah, that's <laughs> the pitch. Right there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, man, lost opportunity. <laughs> yeah. We can maybe, you know, fix that now. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, yeah, we learn from our mistakes and we move on and make something yes. better. Um, cool, Lottie. This has been really great. And I just have one more question for you. For sure. Um, you're going to Desert Island. You get to bring three albums with you. What are they? Stop. <laughs> this is so hard. I know. It's an impossible question, but that's the point. So uh, whatever comes to mind. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> I've got to say Auntie by Rihanna for sure. Nice. Because... That is just her magnum opus and one of the most incredible bodies of work in existence. Mm. Nice. Big words. Okay. So that's one. Cool. Uh, graduation by Kanye West. I know nice. he's canceled, but. <laughs> I think, yeah, I feel like yeah, music, still exists, album, music can still be great. It's just every, every song on there is a classic. It's like a great, it's a great record, and and yeah. he's someone who who's been a huge inspiration to me, and hmm. yeah, that that's got what I call manifestation music on there, and hmm. it's changed my life. So okay, we've got two. Oh, this is so hard. <laughs> you got two already. It's been like thirty seconds. You're doing great. Uh, I'm only three. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Ah. I feel like I need to bring like a pop album. <laughs> cool. Uh ah. Britney Spears. Which one? I'm gonna go with um self titled. Nice. Yeah. It's a good trio. I think there'll be it's pretty good vibes in that album. Or, yeah. or sorry, on that island. Right. That, that you're on. Um I'm gonna regret not bringing little baby, but it's okay. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's a hypothetical question. Hopefully this never actually happened. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh cool Lottie. It's been really good to have you on. You know, really great chatting with you. As always, you know, for the people listening, what's the best way? For them to follow you or to get involved with any of the projects you're working in first and foremost subscribe to my latest newsletter <laughs> Do it, and great. you can find all of my links actually in one place so koji which is k-o-j-i dot t-o slash lot of day with an x at the end so that's l-a-d-i-d-a-i-x so go to that link and you'll find all my stuff I have the same at everywhere, even on Blue Sky, even mm. on Nostra, Blue like Sky. even the most like obscure social network have the same <laughs> at, which is L-A-D-I-D-A-I-X. So search that on Google or go on Twitter first and you'll find everything else. Like, 
I'm consistent. Cool. You're gonna find nice. Me. <laughs> nice. I love that. Consistency is is great. Uh, cool. Thanks again, Lottie. Really great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a really fun conversation. Absolutely, agree. All right, that's it for this episode of Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media, and you can visit us at Decentral.io, and remember, only you can prevent and fend off Big Brother. <laughs> <laughs>